Hey, we're back. This is two in a row. We're doing pretty damn good. The Softy Hawk Blogger Podcast, talking Seahawks every Friday. We appreciate you guys uh, checking this thing out, and uh, although it's free because nobody would pay for crap like this, that's for certain. But it's always fun, no matter how many people tune in to get to talk to my friend from HawkBlogger.com, my buddy Brian Nemhauser. How are you, man? Man, it's uh, I'm a little cold, man. It's chilly out there today. Yeah, I went out this morning, and uh, my wife has got this big, giant, like, snow globe, inflatable snow globe that I have to set uh-huh. up outside the house, and I tried to jam <laughs> the stakes into the ground. I almost broke my hand. The, hand. the freaking ground was frozen solid, man. I couldn't do anything. So is that just in, in a Dave Mahler world? Does that just mean you don't do it? Exactly. Just, yeah. Exactly. Well, awesome. I mean, how <laughs> else would like I my world too. expect me to dethaw the ground, like get a flamethrower out or something like that, or start a fire or something like that? Wait, yeah, you got those those kind of superpowers. I've yeah, seen you I, yeah. in action. You know, let me ask you this. You mentioned the cold. Do you prefer it to be, if I gave you two choices, 110 degrees outside or 10 degrees outside? Which one do you pick? 10. I'm with you. thousand percent. <laughs> Why? That's why I live here, man. I see. Yeah. I know. I got friends moving to Arizona. Friends, you know, in Southern California, Florida. Like, no way. Yeah, I, I could never do it. And there's I, one I, simple uh, reason for me, by the way. I want to hear your reasoning, but I want to give you mine in a second. What's your reasoning for uh, ten versus 110? I just you can always put on clothes to get warmer. You, you can only get so naked, right? Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> it's a lot easier to get warm than it is to cool off. There's no question about it, man. There's always there's always another blanket or another heater to plug in, but when it's 110 degrees and you're sweating your ass off, I'm with you a thousand percent. Well, this is the kind of wisdom that people tune in for, dude. This is the kind of stuff you would think you'd talk about if you were like a two and ten football team, but instead they're <laughs> seven and five, and they got a gigantic game coming up on Monday night against Minnesota. Uh, let me go back to the game with the Niners first of all last weekend, man. Obviously, the kind of game that we all thought we'd see, which was an absolute blowout, ass kicking by the 49ers or uh, of the 49ers by the Seahawks but what was your reaction to seeing Richard Sherman and uh and your uh your kind of appreciation for him on Sunday man um man it, it's got to be a challenge to be him uh you know obviously <laughs> he's making good money but that's just got to suck being on a team that bad and um Look, big my big reactions to that game were one, it was it was I expected it to be much closer, so I was I was really happy that it was a blowout. That was great. Um, and you know, Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, um, you know the offensive line. There, there's some really nice uh, individual efforts there. And then, but then on the other side, like Nick Mullins threw for over 400 yards yep. uh, without two his two starting wide receivers, and. I've been telling you, dude, you asked me before how I feel about the cornerbacks, um, and I don't feel good about them. I don't feel good about them. I don't feel like I don't feel like either one of them, you can say, is a lock to be part of the future of this team. Right. And um, I don't feel like Tedrick's a lock to be a future part of this team. I think there's three spots in the secondary that are big old question marks, and um, that, you know that'll that'll limit how much this team's capable of doing. Meaning the one spot that you feel good about is McDougal, and that's it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, did you hear Pete Carroll yesterday? He was asked about Shaq Griffin, if he's met his expectations. Did you hear that? I think Art Teal asked Pete Carroll that question yesterday. And I don't remember exactly what Pete Carroll said, but Art asked him, has Shaq Griffin lived up to your expectations? 
and he didn't exactly say yes. Uh, you might want to go back and listen to that, by the way, Brian, and get his uh, his uh, his take on that yesterday because it was kind of a he's evolving type thing, one of those classic coaches cliches that you throw out there when you don't want to slam a guy. But it was obvious when Art asked that question yesterday that Pete Carroll has not been pleased with uh, Shaq Griffin. Yeah, I mean – he seems to have taken a clear step back. And one question that's worth worth asking, I, I'm literally just thinking about this now, is is does the change in the defensive coordinator have anything to do with it? Like, Chris Richard was a secondary coach. That was his focus. He did that, you know, under Dan Quinn before, and um, that's been his focus for a while. You know, he was there for Sha- Shaquille Griffin's first year and perhaps was able to give him, you know, the the insights necessary and notice things that were off. Also, Richard Sherman was maybe the best secondary coach the Seahawks have had. You saw how much time he'd spend before practice, after practice, working with the younger players on the technique. And, you know, both those guys are gone. Ken Norton's a linebacker's coach. You know, he, he's the defensive coordinator now, but he's not a DB. And, you know, maybe maybe the Seahawks don't have the right level of uh, coaching um, for the secondary because – Shaq Griffin is not as good of a player as he was just last year. Mm. Well, and uh, again, that's going to be tested Monday night, pal, uh, because this yeah, is a high-octane passing offense. There is no question about that. I would think that, again, the best defense for this game on Monday is going to be the three rushketeers. That's what I call Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, and Mike Davis, by the way. Are you, are you with me on that at all, or is that just no? I'm I'm not because I don't want it to be Mike Davis. Put J.D. McKissick in there, <laughs> okay, and I'm, I'm with you. All I'll right. go along with the you. The three Rusketeers, Carson, Penny, and McKissick. How's that sound? Uh, I'll do I, it. I want to run for 250 on Monday and keep Kirk Cousins' ass on the bench. <laughs> well. Against a really good run defense, by the way, too. Yeah. It's a it's a fifth ranked defense, uh, you know, against the run yards per rush. They're number one, I think, in the NFL in uh, limiting explosive rushes, um, and they're number five in the NFL in sack rate. And like this is a legitimately, they're talented at all levels. But but here's here's one thing to think about, Dave. We'll see how it plays out. But Trey Wayne's one of their really good starting cornerbacks. They got Xavier Rhodes and they got Trey Wayne's. Wayne's uh, left the Patriots game in the first quarter with a concussion. It's the second concussion in, I think, a few games. And he didn't practice yesterday. So I think there's, there's some speculation he won't play. And if that's the case, I actually almost like the matchup more with, you know, give me David Moore, give me Tyler Lockett, give me Doug Baldwin against their backup corner. Um, that I'd be more comfortable saying that that could be the difference-making matchup. Well, it was the difference-making matchup against Carolina, right, when they went right after a backup cornerback. In, uh, in, is it Corn Elder? Is that right? Is that short for Cornelius, yeah. by the way, you think? It is. Okay, good. It is. All right. Yeah. Maybe his maybe yeah. his family just likes vegetables and you know his sister carrot, his brother tomato, you know his name is corn. Did you know that whatever. he got creamed in that game? <laughs> Listen to you with the <laughs> jokes. I love it. Uh and they 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 went right after him. So if if Wayans does not play, you know, some coaches like to kind of stick with the game plan. Uh-uh. If he's out, you're going right there number 1 first play of the game in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, and they've they've proven that they can do that. Like, I don't know that there's a duo that's been harder to defend, um, at least from a deep pass perspective, than Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett in the NFL this year. I mean, those guys are they're finding new ways every week to to just decimate defenses. Tyler Lockett's got, I think, nine touchdowns in twelve games. Is that how many games we played? 
Yes, right? correct. Like, exactly. And that's not not like nine touchdowns because he got three against one bad matchup. He's only had one touchdown in each of those nine games. So, I mean, that's that's a lot of consistency, and they're not usually short ones. He's talking 30, 40, 50-yard throws. Um, mm-hmm. So he's just been a huge, huge uh, part of the offense that – I think the rest of the NFL is still learning about. I don't know if it was you that tweeted this out during the game on Sunday. It probably was you about probably. Russell. Yeah, exactly, because it was genius, so I'm sure it was you. Um, <laughs> the, the the just beauty of Russell Wilson's deep ball, was that you that said that? That was me. Okay. Yeah. The the throw to lock it on that deep crossing pattern for the touchdown. You go back and look at Russell, and it's it's like he's not even putting any effort into it. Like it's nothing for him. Just flicks that ball up there. You're exactly right, man. That that deep ball of Russell Wilson is as good looking as anybody in the NFL right now. Yeah, I mean, we've we've been lucky to see some really good deep throwers in the past. I mean, Warren Moon was a completely different style, but excellent deep deep throw, right? He there was no loft to his throws. Like I had such an arm, he'd throw it on a line 50 yards downfield with almost no arc, right? Russell throws these, you know, these teardrops that just like they're they're dropping in the bucket and you know, anyone that's played any sport and had anything that they felt more comfortable about than others, which is, you know, you feel like you can hit a free throw a bunch, or you, you feel like you can hit, you know, corner three, that's your spot. Russell's spot is, is deep throws. I mean, that, he, it's not his only thing, but that just comes naturally to him. And the, the amount of those throws that are on target and catchable yeah. Yeah. and out of harm's way, they're rarely picked off. Think about that, Dave. Like, the amount of times he throws deep and how rarely they actually get intercepted. There's just something special about the way he throws the ball um, in those situations. And honestly, it's part of the reason he throws it less than other people want. Would you rather him throw it once 50 yards downfield or five times, you know, yeah. 10 yards each? Like well, it's part of who he is. Well, the efficiency is off the charts. I mean, you're talking about a guy who is what number four, five in the NFL in touchdowns, but 24th, 25th in, in pass attempts, uh, which is even a better ratio, by the way, than he was in 2015 when we thought he was phenomenal. But you know, Brian, I want to go back to the defense for a second. If, if I may, if it's okay with you, I want to go back to the defense. Okay, great. Uh, I know you can handle it. You know, it's funny because we're sitting here and we're talking about a 7-5 and football team that is in control of their own destiny, uh, firmly in the five-hole right now in the playoffs, which I think is a bigger step than any of us thought they would take this year. Absolutely. We're complaining about the secondary, yet they're top 10 in the NFL in scoring defense. They lost K.J. Wright. The guy that started opposite Bobby in the opener, Shaquem Griffin, isn't even playing on defense really anymore at all. They've gone to their basically fourth-string linebacker in Austin Calitro. They lost Averill. They lost Bennett. Yes, Quentin Jefferson has stepped up. Frank Clark has stepped up. But they're, they're not exactly chock-full of pro bowlers on that defensive side of the <laughs> ball, yet they're top ten in scoring, and they're 7-5 and five right now. At what point do we have to sit back and just say, you know what, maybe Pete Carroll isn't all rah-rah. Maybe the guy can freaking coach for crying out loud. 100%. I mean, you and I talked about this last week, and, and I won't I won't uh, bore people with going back over it again, but, you know, he is, he is, if not the best defensive coach, you know, of his generation, he is absolutely in the conversation for, for that discussion. And he's done it over different decades, different eras, different rules, different groups of talent. I mean, you go back, people talk about his 49er days. You go back to his Vikings days um, in the late 80s, you know, Joey Browner and, and uh, you know, some of the guys they had on that team. Um, 
he's just he's done it time and again. He's got a system. He believes in it. He knows how to implement it. He knows the right kinds of players for it. And he the, part of the reason that I don't think that you see Dan Quinn or Gus Bradley or Chris Richard doing as well other places um, with the same kind of style defense is because Pete's special. I think he just understands the, the, the tactics there in a different way. He understands the personnel in a different way. And uh, we're very lucky to have him um, for that purpose. But, you know, he, he's not perfect. He's got all the sorts of other things he doesn't do as well as other people. Um, and, you know, one of them is, is, is manage the game. But uh, I wouldn't trade him for, for pretty much anyone other than maybe Belichick. But mm. honestly, mm. I like cheering for a Pete Carroll team. I like his philosophy on, on life and, and people. And, and I enjoy uh, I enjoy the types of teams he puts together. Yeah, he's a lot more, uh, well, let's just say he's easier to cheer for as a person than Bill Belichick is. But mm-hmm. I think if Bill Belichick was going to a Super Bowl every two years, we'd have no problem with that either uh, in Seattle. But, Brian, let me ask you about this game Monday night because I think, again, this is one of those games where if you win it, Man, you are really, really looking good for a playoff spot. You basically open up a a two-and-a-half game lead uh, over Minnesota because you have the tiebreaker uh, and the game-and-a-half lead on them with the tie. Uh, Carolina, obviously, then with the win, would move themselves into the six-hole past Minnesota. You can pretty much in some ways nail the coffin down uh, for Minnesota with a win on Monday night where Pete Carroll's 15-2, and baby, at home in prime time. But as you said earlier, and I got the sense from you, there's something about this game that makes me a little squeezy. Why do you think that is? Well, because the Vikings are the almost the anti-Seahawks this year. You can go like position group by position group. Um, Their safeties. Everyone knows Harrison Smith. Uh, Anthony Harris is uh, a young safety. He's one of the best in the NFL this year. He's allowing a passer rating of like 9.4 <laughs> this season, which is ridiculous. Their cornerbacks, we talked about Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes. Their linebackers, Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks. Their defensive line, Linval Joseph, Daniel Hunter, uh, Sheldon Richardson, Tom Johnson, who thank you were paying to play against us, uh, Everson Griffin. These are all great, great talents. And then you go to the offense, you got Stefan Diggs, you got Adam Thielen, you got Dalvin Cook, you got Latavius Murray, you got Kirk Cousins. Like, there's a lot of talent on that team. And they're 6-5, and five, and they got blown out at home by Buffalo and, like, they just have found ways to not be that good this year. And I think a lot of it has to do with that offensive line. And if the Seahawks think that at all that this is going to be a simple game or anyone else thinks it's going to be a pretty easy game, yeah. they're mistaken. I, I think that there's way more ways for the Vikings to win this game than there are for the Seahawks. See, um, and yeah, I, but see, you, yeah. you, 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 you always do this. It drives me nuts. You all right, good. S- you say things like that, like – who the hell is out there saying this is going to be an easy win? I think you just conjure this stuff up to get yourself all fired <laughs> up. I don't know anybody saying that. I mean, are neighbors, these are kids saying, who's saying that? Who? Uh, there are definitely people saying it, dude. <laughs> okay, all right. I 100% guarantee it. Um, but, no, I mean, I, I think, let me put it, I'll, I'll make it more easy for you. I think that there's probably more people that are expecting the Seahawks to win. They're favored, by the way. Right. Um, that are expecting the Seahawks to lose. I think it should be the other way around. You think there should be more people expecting them to lose than win? Yes. Wow. At home in prime time. Yeah. On Monday yeah. night. Yeah. Against the six and five one team. Yep. You're right I think here. it's a really tough matchup. I think it's a really tough matchup. I, I, 
you know, I uh, I think for the Seahawks to win this game, something pretty simple has to happen. Uh, their defensive line has to dominate the really, really bad Vikings offensive line. It is really bad, Dave. Like 27th, 28th in the league, bad in terms of pass protection, dead last in running. Like they've got to dominate. We cannot see Dalvin Cook or Latavius Murray getting a couple, you know, three, four yards, six yards a carry. And we can't see Kirk Cousins having any real time to throw. We've got to create, you know, what, what Vikings are bad at is pass protection run and turning the ball over. So if the defense can do that, we're relying on the defense to win this game, I think, more than the offense. Um, yeah. So that's a tough, that's a tough tale because this defense is not as good as the Seahawks offense. Well, and the, I mean, look, the good news is, okay, the good news is that even if you lose this game, you're still putting yourself in a great position to make the postseason. So I, I don't think this is a must-win game. It doesn't feel like a must-win game. It's it, not. Yeah. I mean, it's it feels for the Vikings, but not for us. No question. And that and that see, Brian, that to me would be the scary part of this is that they're the desperate football team. They're yep. the ones that need to come in here and get a win. So if there's ever a game this year where the Vikings play their best football and play like their hair's on fire, you would think you would get the best effort Minnesota's got to offer. You sound like you're coming around, dude. Well, I'm coming around to that perspective. I think the Hawks will match it, by the way. I think the Hawks will win. It's not going to be an easy game at all. I could see a you know a 24-21 type win for the Hawks. I think it'll be a fourth quarter game for sure. I I I really I would love that to be true. And I think I think there's a good chance that could happen, but I feel like if if the Seahawks win this game, I really feel like they're going to win the rest and they they'd have a be an 11 win team. I just don't think this is an 11-win team. I, I don't see it yet. So I think this is the one they drop, and I think they win the rest of the way, and they end up with 10 wins. Well, that's still pretty freaking awesome, man. Are you kidding me? Of course me? it is. Compared to where we thought they'd be? My God. Oh, my God. Dude, they win 10 games. Pete Carroll's in the conversation for the coach of the year, in my opinion. He absolutely should be. No no doubt about it. No doubt about it. And, and look, they, they definitely can win this game, but I'm telling you, if, if anyone just thinks it's, you know – likely that they're going to win. I, I think that that's, uh, that's being pretty optimistic. Yeah. All right, Brian, you're the man. Great stuff. And we'll see you Monday, pal. Appreciate this, dude. All right. Thanks, Dave. You got it. Brian Nemhauser, Hawk Blogger. Find him on Twitter at Hawk Blogger. The website, hawkblogger.com for incredible Seahawk analysis. And it's always free because, as we always say, nobody would ever pay for this stuff. Visit him on the web at hawkblogger.com. That's it for us. We'll talk to you next week. Go Hawks. See you. Bye.